Shabbat Shalom. We are in a series on fatherhood, and we started that on Father's Day or the day before Father's Day. And so we are in part three of this series on fatherhood. And I'm going to talk today about uh, fathers and their responsibility to protect and discipline their children. So fatherhood, of course, originates with our Father in heaven. We saw this in Genesis in the previous teaching that God is our father. He made us in, in his image, that we carry the image of God. We are God imagers and that we've learned from the father how to be fathers. And so the heavenly father loves us. He blesses us. He provides and protects and disciplines us. So we've been talking about these different aspects. And today, of course, we're going to pick up the protection and discipline. He's good in everything he does. And he's the ideal. He's the ideal that we try to emulate as fathers on earth. It's, it's him that we try to uh, model our lives after as fathers. And we all come from different places. We all were born in sin. We're all broken to some degree. And so in our brokenness, right, we're not a perfect image of what God had determined for fathers, but we're striving for that. We're growing into that. And so regardless of where you're at as a father, you just start from where you're at. As you begin to, to embrace who the Father is and to model your life based on His life through the power of God's Spirit in you. Teaching, of course, our young sons how to be fathers as well as they grow up, as they marry, as they have children. So uh, this is an important topic, and I, I hope that you are uh, enjoying it. So, in the name of Jesus, by His Holy Spirit, we are becoming better fathers. And it just gets better and better, by the way. You know, I'm a grandpa now. I got grandsons. I had two daughters. I had two daughters. I raised them. They're married, and now they're having their family. And it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing because I always told Don, I said, we had two daughters. I have no regrets. I love my daughter so much. Never, never once regretted having daughters. I love them so much. But I always wondered, what would it be like to have some sons? And now I got sons. It's great. So uh, I get to do things with them. They come over, spend the night, and we go around and uh, talk about what it means to be a man. I, I just love our conversations. I wish I could tell you the conversations. I should. I, you know, we should, be able to get, we should be able to get away with this. I think I can get away with this nowadays. Should be able to get away with it. So I said, uh, are you boys or girls? They looked at me and they said, boys. I said, how do you know you're a boy? <laughs> Penis. I said, what? He says, we have a penis. I said, okay, okay, that's a start, yep. And I said, and what, what about a girl? Well, they don't have a penis. I said, okay, that's good, let's move on now. <laughs> we, we went and got the plane, we went outside, we flew the plane around. Okay, so anyway, just having a blast uh, with my grandsons and, and watching them grow up, it's just amazing. So, uh, and again, none of us are perfect fathers. We're all growing into this. So children, give us some free passes as we do this. Okay. One of the responsibilities of a father is to protect children, to do that as best we can from threats of personal injury, right? We want to talk about physical protection. So, so this idea of protection includes physical, psychological, and spiritual protection. And oftentimes, these three things are tied together. Let's talk about physical threats first. Life in Egypt, 
Remember life in Egypt, the story of Moses and the children of Israel, right? They were growing up in a really wicked world. Egypt was wicked. Egypt was dark, right? The symbol of Egypt on the, on the crown of Pharaoh was what? The serpent. That was a giveaway in terms of the, the type of kingdom that this was. And it was a thoroughly pagan society. And the people of God are just caught up in, under all that pressure, under all that oppression. In fact, they were slaves at this time in Egypt. The threats to their lives were daily. And this life in Egypt was polar opposite of what God had intended for his people. So God decides he's going to free his people from Egypt and lead them to a place where they could live out life in a place of love and joy and peace, a place of prosperity and goodness. And so that was his plan. But stepping back into the story as it all begins, God basically tells Moses, I need you to go tell Pharaoh a couple things. Because we want to get this thing straight from the word go. And so in Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform for Pharaoh all the wonders which I've put in your power. And I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. He gave, he gave Moses power. He gave Moses authority and power to do some stuff. He says, now go do it in front of Moses or in front of uh, Pharaoh. Then it says this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, after you do some stuff, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. My dad's stronger than your dad, right? God's saying, hey, you're messing with my firstborn. Stop it. And if you don't, I'm going to mess with your firstborn. You know, you're drowning my sons in the Nile. I'm going to drown your sons in the water too. It'll just be the waters of the Red Sea. But nonetheless, God is going to make good on that. God says, leave my kids alone or else, right? And that's part of the job of a father, to watch over his sons and daughters, to draw that line in the sand to the aggressor who's there to hurt or harm them and say, no, you will not touch on my children. This is one of the responsibilities that we have as fathers. Think about this. God is serious about protecting his children. He knows our struggles. He's with us in our darkest places. And he will never abandon us. Never. When you're in trouble, call out to the Father. When you're in trouble, don't run, run to him. He is for you, not against you. He's not angry with you. He loves you. He's the one that we can run to. I'll tell you a story about my dad and my brother. and Actually, my two brothers. I have a younger brother, older brother. My older brother was a senior in high school. And I was like, uh, I think a freshman or maybe one year before that. And we're digging a big old hole in the ground outside of our house because we're going to lay the framework for a chimney. So we're out there digging away, just in the hot sun. And as we're digging away, and my brother, he was a senior in high school, the neighbor who was 
a yard away, so we had the neighbor's house and then another neighbor. That neighbor comes out and he starts yelling at my brother. He starts saying, and I'll change his name. He starts saying, hey, Tom, Tom, were you over at the house the other night? Were you over here the other night? You answer me. You talk to me. You turn around and look at me. I'm talking to you, Tom. You know, my dad says, what's going on? My brother was turning to kind of react. My dad says, you turn around, son. Don't you talk to him? He says, what's going on? And then the guy continues to yell and says, you stole my son's ring. See, they had a party at the house for graduation. And during that night, because, you know, it was a pretty wild party, but during that night, someone stole his son's class ring. And, and my son's friend's mom, this guy's wife, said it was Tom that stole it. And so my brother's trying to tell my dad the story. Yeah, you know, uh, his ring got stolen. You know, his mom thinks I did it. And she confronted me. And she, she was accusing me of taking, taking the ring. And the neighbor's yelling this whole time. And uh, my dad says, well, did you? He says, no, I didn't take the ring. He says, well, why is he so mad? He says, well, I called his wife a bee. Now, now today you can do that and get away with it. I don't know why. But back in the 70s, you didn't call anybody's wife a bee. Now, that was a different era. That was back in the time that fathers and husbands protected their kids and their wives. You know, that was a different era, if you will. An era we need to get back to, by the way. So uh, this guy jumps his fence, comes across the yard, comes up to our yard, and he takes the chain link fence and he's shaking the fence, rattling the fence. He says, you call my wife a bee? Shaking the fence, kicking the fence. Tom, you look at me. You call my wife a bee, kicks the fence again. He says, you turn around right now. My dad keeps telling my son, just keep digging. Don't you say a thing. Just keep digging. Then he turns around to me. Looks at me and says, son, he says, I want you to keep your eye on Mr. We'll just say Mr. Mr. Smith. You keep an eye on Mr. Smith. I said, okay, dad, what do I do? He says, you let me know when he jumps that fence and comes in the yard. And my dad's a military guy. He saw live combat for a year and a half. I mean, he killed people, okay, in Korea, sorry. But he was battle-hardened. He was a warrior, man. So, so <laughs> we're out there. I said, I said, so, I said, what happens if he comes in the yard? You know, I'm a little kid. I'm all scared, you know. He says, son, when he jumps in our yard, I'm going to take my shovel. And I'm going to put it on the left side of his head. And he's going to drop to the ground and flop a little bit. And he says, we're going to call, call the police, and they'll sort it out. I was, I was like, what? I was like, I had all these pictures of my dad and the whack and the drop, and I'm like, wow. But that guy kicked that fence a couple more times, shook it, and then walked off, jumped his fence, and went back in his house. Because he knew. He knew. Because nothing's going on. He knew, dad, our, he knew my dad was, was in control of the kids, right, and just waiting, but he was smart enough not to come into our yard, not to cross those property lines. He knew that in our home, our father was a lion who would protect his cubs. It was amazing. Yeah, I'll tell you another story. I should... so, 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 so one of the neighbors, you know, uh, she had a garage door open, her dog wasn't on a leash. 
this couple comes around the, the block, and the dog comes charging out. It was like a Rottweiler. You know. So they got their dog, and they're all shook up. And so the guy's yelling at the lady, you know, get your dog back in. Your dog needs to be on a leash. And he's, you know, going off pretty lit up. So she kind of gave her gave him the business about the dog still on her property and doesn't need to be on a leash while it's on her property. And so this little exchange, so he called her a bee. So he went back home and the husband finds out and he's kind of old school, you know? So uh, he went over to the house, knocked on the door and the wife came and he says, yeah, I want to talk to your husband. She says, no, he's not going to talk to you. She's, he said, no, you, you bring him out. You bring him out. I want to talk to your husband. She says, well, he's not coming out, so you might as well go back home. He said, well, you tell him that when he grows some, that he can come over and talk to me about what he called my wife. In other words, if he's man enough, he'll come. Well, when his wife came in and said, well, he said, if you're a man enough, basically, well, what do you think he's going to do? You know, can't let your wife down. So he says, well, I'm going to go over there. You come with me, though. <laughs> Got to take your helper, right? He gave, he gave Adam a helper for times like this. Okay. <laughs> so she comes over, too. So they go over to the house. He's down on the front porch. The guy comes out, and they start arguing about what happened. And the guy's basically saying, hey, doesn't matter what happened. You don't call my wife a bee. And he says, well, actually, that, she, she is a bee. That, you know, I called her that, and she, yeah. Boom, hit him so hard. He, he bounced and hit the column and bounced back. And then he stood there and said, what? You actually hit me? You balled your fist and hit me? Unbelievable. Like, like yeah, would you, what planet are you from? Oh, I'm sorry. It's 2023. You know, everything's turned upside down. Everything's so messed up. We didn't even know how to act anymore. Yeah. So he went home, called the police. They came out. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. You know, it's 2023. You know, if it was 1970, the cops would have showed up and gave him a beating too, you know, but <laughs> not today, you know. So who knows what happened? But I thought to myself, I thought to myself, husbands and fathers need to protect the dignity of their wives and children. And we, we need to stand up and reclaim our ground. I'm not advocating violence, of course not. But I'm saying, man, we are so far away from, from doing what we need to do as fathers in protecting our families, their names, their dignity, their reputation. We need to do a better job. Psychological. We need to protect our kids from psychological threats, right? The power of life and death are in the tongue. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, but when we grew up, oh my gosh, everything was, you know, cutting each other down. Everyone was the, you know, the butt end of the joke. And so, you know, we kind of had nicknames for each other. It was just really demeaning, you know, but everyone's trying to like one up everyone else. And I, I grew up with that. My parents didn't understand that. But as I grew up and I began to understand the power of this spoken word, it changed everything, everything for me. I began to realize, you know what? A lot of damage is done through what we say to one another. And as fathers, we've got to understand that we've got to teach our kids that they can't diminish each other or anyone else for that matter. 
You can't diminish others, their personhood or their identity. No derogative name calling. Yeah, it's kind of fun for a while, but you know what? It has its effect. We should not allow negative jesting under the guise of, oh, I was just joking. Yeah, because that hurts. Your joke hurts. You know, that may be funny to you, but it's not funny to me. It's amazing how we carry things that are said to us and about us all the way into our adulthood. Yeah, we got to teach our kids. No, we're going to speak life to one another. We're going to speak life to mom and dad. We're going to speak life to each other and to our friends. The power of life and death is in the tongue. I remember one time, another story. Guess this is like story hour, right? Okay, so my brother, senior in high school still, same summer. So, um, or no, it, it was uh, earlier in the year, but he's senior in high school. But he, was, he ditched with some friends. They went, you know, out messing around. And so the school called and uh, got a hold of my mom and said, yeah, uh, we had a note here that Mick's sick and we're hoping he's doing better. And she says, Mick is not sick, yeah. And so I give away his name, sorry. Um, so uh, so she, she told uh, dad. So we're sitting there at the dinner table and, and uh, my dad says, so I heard you were sick today. He's like, what? Yeah, you, you were sick, you weren't at school. He goes, yeah, I was, at, I was at school, dad. He goes, no, you weren't, don't lie to me, son. He says, your mother told me that you lied and ditched school. Man, my brother turned to my mom real quick, and he called her the B word. You know, you know that senior that senior year, something about you know hitting that eighteen, and yeah, oh, it was a big slip. It was a big slip. Everyone drops their forks. It's totally quiet around the table. You know, so we're all watching. It was like a tennis match. You know, we're like, what's that? What's that going to do now? You know. So my dad says, uh, "What?" He says, "Uh." You apologize to your mother right now, son. My brother looked at her, but he was so embarrassed. He's turning red. All the other kids are looking at him. He just couldn't get himself to apologize. And he's just like staring at her, looks back at my dad, looks look at her. He says, son, apologize to your mother right now. And he just stood there silent. He didn't know what to do. So my dad, it was great. He was like it was Clint Eastwood or, you know, he stood up. When he stood up, he, he took his leg, you know, took his leg kicked his chair. His chair goes, whoom, hits the wall. It was great. It was just like, oh my gosh, these are tricks of the trade, you know. So he kicks the chair against the wall. Yeah, everyone kind of jumps, you know. He walks over to my brother. My brother's sitting there. My dad takes off his glasses, sets them on the table in front of him, you know, puts his hand on his shoulder, and then balls his fist. My brother says, sorry, mom. Magic. It was like magic, you know. Dad took his glasses, went over, got in the chair, sat down, says, let's eat. We all ate. It was amazing. But anyway, these were learning lessons growing up in my, my house. Not a perfect home. I wouldn't change it for anything. I loved it. I loved it. I'm grateful. Okay? So we need to teach our kids, when others cut you down, when they make fun of you, when they say things about you, you take that to the Lord. You raise up that shield of faith. See, all that matters is what God says about you. And what does he say about you, son? That you're made in his image, that you're one of his sons. What does he say about you, daughter? That you're one of his daughters, made in his image. Yeah, that's what you invest in. 
You break that stuff off. You don't receive it. You don't let it come into you. You lift up that shield and say, no, I'm a child of God. That's not true what you said about me. And you teach them how to fight that and break that so it doesn't attach to them and begin to shape them. And then we need to teach them how to protect and defend other people who are being demeaned, who are being bullied like in school. I always taught my girls when they're growing up, hey, if someone's being bullied, always champion their cause. Don't stay silent. If someone is being bullied, you go right up and stand next to them and say to the bully, no, you will not do that. Always champion the cause of the one that's weak, the one that's oppressed. If you don't, who will, right? So you got to do that for yourself and you got to do that for others. Teach your children to be peacemakers. Teach them how to de-escalate, right? So they can be peacemakers and bring calm and, and peace into these scenarios that are just all around us, you know, getting more and more escalated. These are a few of the ways that we can help our kids uh, do a better job. And fathers, that's our responsibility. We got to help teach our kids. And then there's also spiritual threats, right? We have spiritual threats against us. There's an evil one. The presence of evil in our world is all around us. We battle that day in, day out. In the Lord's Prayer, at the end, part of the prayer is, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. How profound is that prayer nowadays, right? Maybe not as profound back in the 50s. Yeah, today, oh my gosh. Evil all around us. We pray several times a day, God, deliver us from evil, because it's encroaching everywhere around us. We live in an evil world that's permeated with darkness. You know, I'm just watching this news clip off, off our major newspapers where perverts are marching around naked in our streets and chanting. Mainline news media chanting, we're coming for your children i'm thinking i'm thinking the evil has become so intense and so in our face and so aggressive we need to step up the battle deliver us from evil oh lord our current white house administration many of our governors and mayors not only will not protect us from this bizarre evil they actually support it it's invaded our schools our libraries social media sports everything, right? What's our saving grace? What's our saving grace? The Most High God. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3 says this, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Fear not, fear not, don't run and hide. He has given us what we need to find deliverance from the evil one. Luke 10, 19 through 20. Jesus says, after he sent them out to heal the sick, to raise the dead and cast out demons, right? They had to go out and confront evil in their culture. When they came back, well, let me, let me read this to you first. Luke 10, 19 through 20, he says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, not, not over some of the power of the enemy, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. 
We have authority over evil. We don't have to run from evil. We have to teach evil to run from us. We're the answer to the dilemma of evil in our culture, you and I. It's amazing how much power we have. Jesus says, and nothing will injure you. The psalmist said, the righteous are as bold as lions. When you know who you are and the authority that you have, oh, what a game changer that is. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Fathers, in Jesus, you have tremendous authority to protect your families. I'll give you another story. A young father told me that, uh, that his daughter was really uh, in a bad place. She was in high school, and she was in a bad place, and just really being tormented uh, by an evil spirit. And usually when that happens, we don't talk about it because people think you're crazy, right? So you just kind of like isolate. And she was getting worse and worse. And uh, she was falling into a lot of like uh, fear and anxiety attacks and that kind of stuff. And this thing was just robbing her life. In fact, she, she became depressed. And in that depression, she began to have some suicidal ideation, okay, which is you know, the beginnings of just saying things are getting so bad, I don't know, maybe, would that, would that be one of the ways out, you know, but that's, that's the place that she was in, and, uh, and he told me, he says, you know, um, he says, uh, one, he, he said he knew that she, she was struggling, um, and, but she didn't, he, he didn't know to what extent, so, but uh, one evening, he came out, he said, he came out of the kitchen, and she was laying on the floor in the living room, and she was in like a uh, fetal position. And she was mumbling. And he ran over and said, what's going on? What's going on? And she'd been whimpering, kind of crying. And she could barely even look up. And, and she was whispering because as if she didn't want uh, this entity to hear her, you know. But she was saying that, um, that the spirit was here. That the, and the spirit would always come in the form of an old lady. It would always be a very, very old lady with bony fingers and and it was part of a kind of a generational curse in their background anyway, uh, coming down to this new generation. And so she told her, her father, um, it's, you know, she's up there, she's up there, you know, whispering, you know. He's like, what? And she says, yeah, up, up the stairs by the room, you know. And he said he turned around and he ran up those stairs and he looked at his daughter in a fetal position and says, where, right here, was pointing. She said, over, over a little bit more by the door. He went over until she said, she's right in front of you. And this father let loose, said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. In the name of Jesus, get out of my home. You leave my daughter alone. You leave my house alone. You have no right. I take authority over you in Jesus' name. Leave. Yeah. He turned his daughter. Is she there? Daughter says, no, she's gone. She left. She's gone, you know. It took several more weeks, and he said she got better and better, stronger and stronger, until she was back to herself. Just amazing in every way. Parents never, ever take for granted what's going on in your kid's life. If they're struggling or whatever, talk to them. 
Get them to open up to you. And then pray with them and pray for them and breathe into them the hope that we have in Jesus, that we can pray, deliver us from evil, and he will. Evil will come to us. Evil will come to our children. That's a fact. The game changer is, is teaching your kids how to take authority over evil. You as a parent doing that for them until they're old enough to do that for themselves. And this is one of the ways that we keep our children from evil. Pray over your families. Protect your families. Bless your families. It's a game changer for them. So, in summary, protection is complicated due to the evil in this world. I want to say to our fathers, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. Take it to the next level. Deliverance from evil powers and agendas is a holy collaboration between you and our Father in heaven. We as fathers need to connect with our Father in heaven and learn how to collaborate with him to help deliver our children from what they face in the world that we're living in. We have to do our part. God will do his. So teach your children how to protect themselves, how to lift up the shield of faith from lies about their personhood or identity. Teach them about their bodies and how to guard themselves from abusers. We taught our daughters when they were very young, you know, that they have, that they have public parts of their body and they have private parts of their body. And the private parts, no one gets to touch. They're their private parts. And if anyone touches their private parts, just tell mom and dad, just let us know, you know, and we would not scare them about that. We didn't tell them in a way that would frighten them, but just more matter of a fact so that they would know kind of what's going on and that we would be clued in as well. This is a part of how we protect our kids from abusers, right? Teach them that they can trust us and tell us anything. That's why dads need to be sensitive Okay, you got to be sensitive and, and, and create an environment where your kids feel really good in their relationship with you, that they can come and tell you anything, that you're for them, not against them. Teach them how to call in the name of Jesus for help when they're threatened by assault. We told our girls growing up, if, if you get into a place where you're scared, let's say you get lost, we're at the store, you get lost, you know, or whatever, and, and you feel like really scared or, or you just feel like something isn't right. You call on the name of Jesus out loud. Just say, Jesus, come help me. Just out loud. Say, Jesus, come help me. Get them to verbalize that. It's amazing how powerful that is. The Lord is so near. He's always present. You call on his name. Plus, it scares people that are up to no good. Scares them like no one's business. A little kid saying, Jesus, help me. You know, run, you know, if they're up to no good, right? And so you teach them how to use the name of Jesus most of the time when people are up to, no good, up to no good, it's because they themselves have spirits that are, that are, you know, influencing them, even compelling them. And so the name of Jesus just frightens the demonic realm. So it's a big shakeup. Teach them how to use the name of Jesus if they feel threatened uh, in any way. God is always with us. And fathers, it's never too late to protect and bless. I want to speak specifically to dads that maybe your kids are out of the home and alienated from you. You know what? It's okay. Lift them up. Pray for them. Bless them. Look for ways to reconnect. When you reconnect, make sure you communicate to them that you as a father still desire, even though you've made many mistakes, you still desire to be a blessing to them and to watch over them 
and that you got their backs and that they're in your prayers. We can do wherever we're at as fathers. We can do a better job, and we are through the grace of God. Okay, so finally, discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Fathers, we protect and we discipline. You have forgotten the encouraging words that God speaks to you as his children. My child, pay attention. When the Lord disciplines you, don't give up when he corrects you. When the Lord, when, when the Lord disciplines us, it's important for us to pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. Discipline is for our good. Don't give up when you're corrected. I don't know what has gone wrong with our generation, our culture today. You can't say one word of correction without people freaking out. That's a microaggression. Boom, they shoot at you or whatever. It's like, what? (laughs) I was just asking you if you could come to work on time because that's what you're supposed to do or whatever, right? This is crazy. No, we're supposed to be responsive to correction. Not angry about it, but to pay attention. You're not a cupcake. You're royalty. You're royalty, right? And royalty is grown and shaped by discipline. We don't live like commoners. We live like the royals. We have dignity. We have structure. We have discipline. Yeah, these are the things that are shaped in us by our Father in heaven. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines everyone he loves. He severely disciplines everyone he accepts as his child. Think about that for a moment, right? When disciplined, may it remind you and me, it's because he loves us. Sometimes I think he loves me more than a lot of others. What is up with that? He's up on that. It's because he loves us. If we're in a place where the Lord's chastising us, may it be a reminder it's because he loves us. That's a good thing, right? You say, yes, but this discipline is brutal. Stiff upper lip, right? Stiff upper lip. Just hold on. God is with you. He's for you, not against you. It's for your good. Verse 7, endure your discipline. Endure it. Endure it with grace. God corrects you as a father corrects his children. All children are disciplined by their fathers. Our job is to not give up when we're being disciplined. Don't give up. Persevere by encouraging yourself with the stories of Abraham, Joseph, Moses. Think of Joseph, right? He was so full of himself. He's so proud. He's telling his dreams to his brothers. You're going to bow down to me. He tells his mom and dad, even you guys are going to bow down to me. Look at me. I'm Joseph. He's got the coat of many colors. He's just walking around like a big old rooster, right? Here comes the smackdown. His brothers reject him. They beat him. They throw him in a hole to die. Then they get scared of maybe being culpable in a murder. So they pull him out and sell him to some traders who take him down to Egypt and sell him to the Egyptians. He ends up in Potiphar's house, a slave for, I think, 11 years, more than a decade, a slave in Egypt. How do you think he feel about that? Does that sound like short-term discipline to you? 11 years. What do you think is going on in his mind? 
You look at Joseph, what's he doing? He's enduring with great patience his trials and tribulations. And then, thinking it can't get any worse, Potiphar's wife accuses him of touching on her. So he flees for his life. They catch him, they throw him in a prison. Now he's in a dirty, stinking dungeon in Egypt, thinking, God, where are you? A couple years later, turned on a dime. He comes out of prison and is elevated to the second most powerful person in Egypt, other than Pharaoh himself. He's vice regent in one day, out of the prisons and to the top. And now he's going to rule over Egypt and save not only all of Egypt, Zephaneth Paneah, savior of the world. He's not only going to save them, he's going to save his people who are starving in a famine, right? That story is so powerful, right? I want us to catch this. Joseph was responsive to his, his hardship, to what God allowed to come into his life. He was responsive to this discipline. He didn't know where it would end but it was shaping him. It was building his character. It was testing his faith. He didn't know that he would lead all of Egypt, that he would save them in this terrible uh, famine and drought that had taken place, that that hardship was preparing him to rule and reign. Isn't that amazing? You're going through a hard time. You're going through a hard time. You hang on. You endure that. The Father shaping you. He's shaping you. Your breakthrough's coming. Your breakthrough's coming, and you're going to look back on that when you get into that place where it's had its work and benefit in your life, and you're going to say, I thank God for that. I'm going to look back and say, now I can thank God for what I went through. I couldn't thank him in the season I was in, and I don't want to go back. But on this side of it, I can say, it gave me everything I needed to do what I've been called to do in life. Yeah, that is such a powerful thing. Never give up when being disciplined. Get ready. Something meaningful and beautiful is coming to you. And then finally, it says, For a short time our fathers disciplined us as they thought best. Yet God disciplined us for our own good so that we can become holy like him. One of the goals of discipline is holiness. It's not just about raising royals so that they are people that love and bless and use power and authority in appropriate ways. It's also about becoming holy. It's about becoming holy. Don't play with sin. If you play with sin, you're signing up for discipline, unneeded, unnecessary discipline. Don't test the Father in that. Be responsive to Him. Become holy like He is holy. Live for His glory. And then finally in verse 11, Hebrews 12, 11, we don't enjoy being disciplined. It always seems to cause more pain than joy. Isn't that the truth, right? But later on, those who learn from that discipline have peace that comes from doing what is right. 
It will give you what you need, that character formation, that worldview, that mindset, the beauty of holiness. It will give you what you need to live a righteous life, to live a life based on what is right for the benefit of those that are around you. So fathers, continue to pray powerful prayers over your families. They're having an effect. There's power in your prayers. Don't discount what you're speaking over your family. Pray it. The Lord is listening. They are counting on you. Your children are counting on you to keep them from evil. God, our Father, is with us. We are not alone as fathers. We've been given authority over evil. Let's use it to deliver ourselves from evil and to deliver our children from evil and then deliver others from evil. This is one of the callings that are on our lives. And then finally, if you're under harsh discipline, rejoice in this. God loves you enough to discipline you. Your discipline will end. Your breakthrough will come. Hold on. Endure it. In the end, you will thank God for the discipline you experience and all the goodness that it will bring into your life. Shabbat shalom.